I'm Robin Marshall, America's number one sugar mom. The subject that I'd like to talk about today is how do you know when you've really met that special person and all that's involved to get to that moment? And I'll talk about that moment in a few minutes, but let's start at the beginning. You've gone out at least a handful of times with each other. You don't want to admit to yourself, but you sort of feel like you're being drawn to this person and you can't wait for your phone to ring. And when it does, you sort of jump because you're excited. And really, there's nothing wrong with it. You keep telling yourself there's nothing to be afraid of. Oh, my God, who are we kidding? Of course, there's something to be afraid of. Once you're involved, you're in. You're in deep. And you're setting yourselves up for being in pain again someday down the road. But who cares? It's worth that leap of faith to have that. Oh, what is that? You know, the the goosebumps. (laughs) The desire. The high school feeling again. It's great. So you go for it. And you see each other more often and you talk about things that are in common to both of you. You find yourself looking at the other person, really studying them as they talk, being engaged, engaging them, wanting to know everything there is to know about this person that you are secretly wondering, I wonder what it would be like to be with this person forever. Do I really have it in me to do that again? Wow. To get to that point while listening to that person, something's going on. Something really worthwhile. You find that you like the same places, you like the same foods, you've read the same books, you love the same movies, and then it comes down to, I wonder what they're like in bed. Oh, God. God, please tell me I'm going to be happy with this person. What do you do when you get to that moment when everything's been perfect and then it's time? It's time to pay the piper. How do you start? How do you even begin that process when you've both been sort of clumsy, even though so intrigued with each other? (laughs) Oh, it can go one of two ways. It could be the best experience of your life. Like, whoa, everything I thought was true. It can't get any better than this. My God, he knew where to touch me. Holy moly, how did he do that? Yeah, it can be like that. It could be... I've never been kissed like this before. Wow. Where did this guy go to school? And how come he's still single? That's the question that always bothers me. How come he's still single? What is there about him I don't know yet? (laughs) We always do this to ourselves. It's called (sighs) self-sabotaging. But if you wind up in that other place where you find yourself together, intimately, in that bed, 
and things don't go according to plan. For instance, what if while you've kissed each other, sort of teasing romantically while dating, he gets into that bed with you and doesn't know the first thing about how to passionately kiss? Can you go on? Really, can you continue if that man shoves his tongue down your throat the wrong way? Okay, let's say we get past that. What if he is only in it for him? You know what I mean? Like he just wants to get on and get off, literally. No touching, no caressing, no baby, you make me feel so good. None of that. What if he's just a let me hop on ya and do ya kind of guy? Will you let him? Will you? Or would you stop him before he took care of himself? Would you stop him in midstream? <laughs> or what if, God forgive me for saying this, you reach down and there's hardly anything there? I mean, that's, that's a nice way of putting it. The two things that women think about the most, and let's be real here, is when they meet a guy, they wonder if he makes a good living and if he's got a large part. <laughs> Come on, you think it too. So you reach down and you find that it's not up to par. Uh, that is just such a great way of putting it. What if you can't get it up? And of course, the first thing you're going to do is, as I mentioned, self-sabotage. What did I do? What didn't I do? What could I have possibly done wrong to have this man not be attracted to me? I dressed well. I used great perfume. I took time with my makeup, my hair. I wore sexy lingerie and the guy can't get it up. What's up with that? Or maybe there's just not enough of him. What do you do then? Oh, my. Let's say we get past all of that, and we accept it for what it is for the moment. And in the back of our minds, we might be thinking, this is never going to happen again, unfortunately, because everything else was great, but you can't grow somebody, and you can't be a snake charmer and get that thing up. <sighs> Please tell me I'm not the only one that thinks about this stuff. My final question to you is, let's say, yeah, you go through it all. You go through the motions. You, ooh, you, ah, you, oh, you do everything you can. And he gets it up and he's in you and you want it to be over. <laughs> do you fake an orgasm just to let him think you're done and that he can be done? Or do you just go for that ride and... Let him have his way. How many times do you really let yourself have an orgasm? Is it easy for you? Does it take the right guy? Can you do it to yourself? I'm not trying to really get in there personally, but I'm really talking about faking it more so than anything else. How many of you can openly admit that you have faked an orgasm more than once to get yourself out of a situation or to not hurt somebody else's feelings because the man can't possibly understand what we've tried to tell them for years 
that it doesn't always happen that way with a woman. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we're just into the moment and we don't want to focus on that. We just want to feel what feels good while the goodness is coming. In him, no man understands that. No good man really understands that because they think if they do, you should. And you know what? I really appreciate that. It shows that it's not all about him. But once in a while, you got to lighten up and just let me be me. And if I want to, I will. And if I don't want to, I'm still enjoying. (laughs) How much better can I say it? So, do you fake it? I'll tell you the truth about me. I don't. If I don't want to orgasm, you notice how I've avoid using the word come this whole conversation. <laughs> if I don't want to, I will just play and have a great time making that person feel like he wants to explode and doesn't give a damn about me anymore. <laughs> it's the easiest way out. <laughs> I'm ridiculous. But it, I mean, who are you doing right by when you fake an orgasm? Him? Maybe. Eventually he's going to catch on. Because when you really do have one, he's going to know that all those other times were fake. <laughs> I think my point is just always be truthful. If you don't like what you've gotten yourself into too late, Yeah, maybe we need to suffer through that one. But then you got to just say, hey, it didn't work. I wish you the best. I know it's not easy, especially when it comes to a man's ego. Who wants to do that? But we have egos too. Don't forget that. And we have desires and we're very passionate creatures. And if we can't fulfill that passion by being with the man we want to be with, We're in trouble because eventually it's going to slap us right across the face. We're going to slap ourselves with the truth. So you live and you learn and have fun while you're learning. Oh, what a conversation. I think you should go home and talk to your mom about this. (laughs) If she's anything like us, she's got to have some of you in her because she's the one that spit you out. I guarantee it won't come as such a shock to her if you do have this conversation with her. In fact, she might just howl. (laughs) And by the way, I keep forgetting to tell you, go to my store and just look around. There's a book that I wrote that I would really love for you to read. It's called The Diary of a Sugar Mom. It's just one of those things. I mean, I wrote it, yeah, and I'm biased, but the book is faction which is the combination of fact and fiction. And I'd really like to know if you can pick out the true parts and what you think of it. You can get it at sugarmom.net or Real Sugar Mom on Facebook. And it comes in a paperback book, audio, and ebook. And it doesn't cost a lot of money. As friends, I'd really like your opinion. Now, when you go to bed tonight with your significant other, forget this whole conversation. You'll be much better off. (laughs) Have a good one. Well, now, wait a minute. I want to keep this conversation going. There's so much more to say. 
Just let me gather my thoughts for 30 seconds. It's Robin Marshall, America's number one sugar mom. There's something I've always wanted to ask you, but I've always been afraid. And it has to do with sex. Of course, if you're lucky enough to find somebody that takes the time to satisfy you, I mean, really digs deep and finds your sweet spot, let's just call it that. Is it easy for you to let go and let that happen? Are you one of those lucky women that can just climax with very little effort? Are you a woman that doesn't have to think about other situations? Can you just feel that amazing feeling just from friction alone? Or do you have to be completely involved with the person you're with, even if it's just for the hour, 10 minutes, your life. There are so many women out there that just can't climax at all. I think climax is such a classy word when discussing this subject. So if I overuse it, just know that I'm not doing it by accident. I'm doing it on purpose because I like it. Or as my kids would say when they were little, don't think I'm doing it on accident, not by purpose. <laughs> I spent years correcting them, trying to tell them it's the reverse. It's not on accident and by purpose. It's by accident and on purpose. Let me not digress. What I'm trying to ask you is, if you're a woman that really needs to work at that climax, work at relaxing enough to allow yourself to reach that point, what exactly do you think about? I've asked men this question before, and they look at me like I'm crazy. I've never had the nerve to ask a woman this question. Men say, I'm looking at you. What else do I need to think about? And while I consider that to be a very nice compliment and I appreciate it very much, I just can't believe it. I'm picturing what's going on in his mind instead of what should be going on in my own mind. I'm picturing red tube like a movie screen flashing across his forehead. How many positions could he possibly picture himself in with how many women at the same time? And he's trying to tell me that it's all about me? I don't believe that. Sorry. But what if it is true? What if that's all it takes for a man to climax? What if it's just us? They just need to feel the friction, view the scenery. I mean, I've always heard that testosterone does amazing tricks to a man's head. Both of them. So you could be the ugliest person in the world. And I mean that with no disrespect. I'm talking about the most gorgeous woman could be ugly in somebody else's mind. It's all in the perspective of the person that's looking at that person. All right. Oh, I dig my own grave sometimes. But anyway, that's what I've heard. If there's enough testosterone flowing, the ugliest woman in the world can be beautiful to the man who is doing her. You understand what I'm saying? So we spend an awful lot of time fixing our hair, putting on makeup, doing our nails, shaving our legs for nothing. Because when it comes to that man, the only thing he's thinking about is where that part of him is. 
because you look like a goddess to him while he is busy climaxing or getting there. We sit there or lay there or stand there imagining all kinds of stories, fantasies. Who could I picture that I'm with? How can I not think about who I'm with at the moment, even though I know I should be thinking about who I'm with at the moment? I sometimes just freak myself out. And I don't know why, because I'm never with somebody that I don't want to be with. How did I get to be this way? And how do you still like me? I'm praying it's because you can relate. But it's like, I don't want to close my eyes because watching somebody else be turned on by something I'm doing is the thing that turns me on. So if I miss that, I miss the opportunity completely. The odds of anything happening to me are null and void if I don't see what's happening. It's not all about what I'm feeling. Are you following? Jesus, I'm a head case. It's like I want to take off one piece of clothing at a time in front of that man, and I want to see him get agitated. I want to see the stirrings. I want to know that I'm the one that's doing that to him. That's the part that turns me on, not the finale. Although that's nice. I'm not discrediting it. I'm just saying that perfect song that you can dance to and take your clothes off and slowly grind against somebody or rub up against them or kiss or touch and make your way to the bedroom. I mean, inch by inch. I don't care if you crawl, walk, slink. However you get there, by the time you get there, you should want that release. But I don't. There's me. I want more. I just want to watch. And I want to watch him watch. But then you reach that line in the sand, that plateau where you can either come or go. (laughs) Pardon the pun. But sometimes I just go a little bit too far. And he's already coming to that point. And I'm still behind the line because I'm so into watching what he's watching. So I miss it altogether. I miss the golden opportunity for me. Can I be the only woman out there that thinks this way or tortures herself in the way I do? Why can't I just be normal and let a man seduce me? Why do I have to be the seductress? I want to be seduced. I want somebody to make me want them. So I can just relax and lay back and enjoy and let him do his thing. Let him watch me watch him instead of me watching him watch me. Tell me you followed that. It would just make life so much easier if I didn't have to do anything, right? If we didn't have to do a damn thing except enjoy ourselves, we could climax as often as they do. I'm sure of it. Anyway, so the next time you find yourself in that position, I'd like you to think of me and my words and just remember what goes through your head and write me. Just go to sugarmom.net and tell me what was in your head when you were supposed to be somewhere else. This is just too good an opportunity to pass up. Where was your head when his head was somewhere else? Just think about my words. And don't hate me for it, because I know you have to have been in the same spot. It was just a fleeting thought that went through my head that I wanted to discuss. 
And somehow these little fleeting spurts turn into podcasts or longer conversations that I decide not to have inside my head because it's so much better to share with you. I'm looking for a kindred soul, somebody that thinks like me. You know, my person. We all have to have a person that we can call our own. I figure if I talk to thousands, one has to show up. Just one. That's all anybody really needs. Like a real girlfriend. Is that so much to ask? Meanwhile, I sat down here to do some editing on another project and just started to talk, and I haven't even gotten to my other project. You see, that's what happens in my head when I'm having sex. Same thing. It must be ADHD. Or OCD. I probably have ADD too. All three together. It's a wonder that I ever climax. <laughs> At least not without thinking a million things and having a man take two hours to get to his hot spot. And the one thing that I hate the most that people say to me, just relax. Could you relax? The minute somebody says that to me, I feel myself tighten up. I'm talking about even if I'm in a meeting. <laughs> I just hate it when somebody tells me to relax. I'll relax when I'm ready to relax, okay? <laughs> Could you picture this woman laying in a bed with a man and hearing him say, just relax. Bitch slap right across the face. <laughs> I hope you've been enjoying my book. The Diary of a Sugar Mom. I've been releasing it a few chapters at a time throughout the last couple of weeks. And I'm going to continue until the audiobook is completed. And it just shows another side of my personality. And it gives you a little bit more insight as to who I am and where I may have come from and the character that I've developed named Dora, where the ties might lie or is it lay between Dora and me. It was a pretty interesting book to write. I always wonder, again, what it's like from the reader's perspective, if it's titillating, if it's stimulating, if I did the right job, or is it just another book that you throw on the shelf? But the audiobook is out there, and I am releasing it, like I said, for free, a few chapters at a time, about three days a week. And if you do have an opportunity to listen and follow along, I'd love to hear your feelings about it. If you want to jump ahead and purchase the book instead, whether it's paperback or audio or the ebook, you can go right to sugarmom.net and buy whatever you want. Otherwise, I'm giving it to you. You just have to be patient because it takes a few weeks to get through all those chapters. But I kind of think it's a worthwhile listen. But that's just me. Okay, I need to get ready because he's on his way here. And I am in the wrong mindset. <laughs> Can you tell? It's Robin. What the hell am I going to think about tonight? Which reminds me, I had a scary story that I wanted to tell you. Just hang on. It's Robin Marshall. I think it's time for me to tell you a story about what happened to a friend of mine when we were teens babysitting. So my girlfriend was babysitting for this family around the corner, and they were very wealthy and had a large house, you know, the type with the ridiculous amount of rooms. 
Like, you could live in the refrigerator. That's how big it was. Anyway, the parents went out for a late dinner kind of movie night. And the father tells my girlfriend that once the kids are in bed, she should go into this specific room because he doesn't really want her wandering around the house and watch TV in there, which I felt, you know, was a little odd, but so be it. So they took off and she gets the kids into bed and she goes into the room to watch TV. She tries to watch TV, but she's disturbed by this clown statue in the corner of the room. She told me that she tried to ignore it for as long as possible, but it started freaking her out. I mean, she wasn't a fan of clowns to begin with, but it got to the point where she just couldn't handle it. She called the father of the kids and said, Hey, you know, the kids are in bed. Is it okay if I switch rooms? This clown statue is really creeping me out. And he says to her in a very serious tone, get the kids, go next door, and call 911. She says, what's going on? And he told her, just go next door, and once you call the police, call me back. Well, she wakes up the kids. She goes next door. She calls the police. And when the police are on the way, she calls the dad back and says, so what's really going on here? He said to her, We don't have a clown statue. And he continued that the kids have been complaining about a clown watching them while they slept. And he and his wife had just blown it off, assuming they were having nightmares. The police got there, caught the so-called clown, who turned out to be a midget. A midget dressed up as a clown. I guess he was some homeless person dressed as a clown who somehow got into the house and he'd been living there for weeks. He'd come into the kids' rooms at nights and watch them while they slept. And the house was so large that he was able to avoid being seen. He would eat their food. He'd been in the TV room right before my girlfriend got there. So when she entered, he didn't have time to hide. So he just froze in place and pretended to be a statue. And if that isn't creepy enough, I heard about this. A newlywed couple were driving up the Northern California coast to spend their dream honeymoon in a quaint bed and breakfast with a seaside view. They hoped to arrive before dark, but a heavy fog hit the highway and their progress was slow. They were at least an hour and a half from the hotel as night fell. If you've ever driven that stretch of highway, you know how torturous it can be, where the lanes get really narrow and the curves get really curvy. And it was just as they were rounding one of those curves that they passed a hitchhiker. It looked like a young woman in a wispy white dress standing on the shoulder with her thumb outstretched. Good luck getting a ride on a night like this, the guy muttered under his breath. She said, stop the car and turn around. We can't leave her alone. We have to give her a ride. We're two hours late, he said. She said, please. So he pulls off the road and he turns around. And as they approached the girl from the opposite direction, they could see her dress was in tatters and her face was pale and gaunt. Can we give you a ride? She asked as they pulled up beside her. Oh, thank you said that young woman who appeared to be in her late teens or early 20s. I have to get home. My parents will be worried sick. Where do you live? He asked. Just down the road about 10 miles. As she climbed into the back seat, 
There's an intersection with an abandoned gas station across from there. It's a white house with a rose garden. They're waiting for me. As they made their way north again, the passenger girl attempted to make conversation, but the girl in the back seat just became quiet and slumped in her seat, apparently asleep. About 15 minutes later, he spotted a dilapidated service station. Is this it? Hey, is this the intersection? The girl turned around to wake the young woman up and caught her breath. She's gone. He said, what do you mean she's gone? He pulled into the driveway of the White House. How can she be gone? She was right. The hitchhiker had vanished. A light came on and two people, an elderly couple, stepped out onto the porch. Can we help you? The man asked. He looked as though he dreaded hearing the answer. Uh, I don't know. The young man began. We were driving and we picked up this hitchhiker, a girl. And she gave you this address, said the man, and asked you to bring her home? Yes. And then she was gone. You aren't crazy, the man said, and you're not the first. She was our daughter. Her name was Diane. She passed away seven years ago, killed by a hit-and-run driver on the highway. They never caught whoever did it. I guess her spirit won't rest until they do. The girl and young man were speechless. Won't you come inside for coffee or tea, said the woman. You've had a shock. Come in and sit down. No, thank you, but no, we're late. We have to get going. And after exchanging uncomfortable goodbyes, the newlyweds departed as they had arrived in stunned silence. Yes, those were a couple of stories by choice, but I want to let you know, I read through quite a few, and I started to record quite a few, and I would get to the point where they became bloody and gruesome, and I couldn't go through with it. <laughs> I knew if I read that story out loud, it would stick in my head, and I'd have nightmares forever. I cannot talk about somebody with a knife or a claw or a, a cleaver or somebody running through the woods who's being chased by whoever or whatever. I just don't have it in me. Those were the two that I felt were the softest out of everything I'd found. Always good to talk with you. And I'm just getting warmed up. Halloween's going to be here before you know it. I think we've got five more months. Ooh. <laughs> Talk to you soon. A Westwood One podcast production.